0: Thank you for listening to the Conformed to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones and I'm here with George Mays for a text driven Tuesday. Good morning Good morning George. You get a good night's sleep after preaching
1: oh man i I passed <laughs> out yeah yeah I, I Julia said that um one minute I was awake and the next I was gone.
0: It's your first time preaching in uh some maybe two months, mm-hmm. and uh, the old diaphragm has got to get broke, broke back in
1: yeah. Just standing up there, the, the energy that it takes, it's, um, yeah, I just have to get back into it. Yeah. Well, if you just
0: preached like 20-minute sermons, you wouldn't be so tired. That's true. <laughs> That's true. 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, just a little devotional. Yeah. Can you imagine? I cannot. I cannot imagine well, either. Well, uh, you know, so we've, uh, we've started doing a, a little bit of a nursing home ministry, and uh, I've gone over to the nursing home the last two weeks um, on Sunday afternoons, and I've, I've done a little devotional. Yeah. Um, not even 20 minutes, uh-huh. maybe 10, mm-hmm. 15. So, I, I mean, devotionals have their place, but on a Sunday morning, um, trying to walk through a passage and explain it and give application, um, 20 minutes Some pastors
0: get paid very well, George, to only preach 20 minutes a Sunday. Yeah. That's pretty crazy, huh?
1: Well, if our church wants to pay me to only preach for 20 minutes, I (laughs) guess I could. (laughs) It's like a bribe. Uh, uh, (laughs) Who said it that there's a thin line between an expository sermon and a hostage situation?
0: I don't know. Okay. It's pretty funny though. <laughs> Sounds like something Mark Dever would say, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, I
1: could see him saying that. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully the sermon on Sunday was not a hostage situation.
0: <laughs> no, no, you uh, you actually wrapped it up when you announced it initially that you had ten points. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I said, okay, Were you worried? I'm getting. Uh, I'm just going to get settled because we'll be here until about twelve thirty. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's yeah. what I thought. Uh-huh. But uh, you you pulled it off there at the end with your application.
1: I tried to. I tried to wrap it up. I think I went over an hour, but I was trying to keep it at an hour. Yeah, was right. It was kind of <laughs> difficult because I was looking at my my watch right before I got up. I looked at my watch, and when I got up to the pulpit, the little clock that's sitting there had a different time.
0: Well, how how much time was off?
1: Maybe five minutes. Early or late? Uh, the one in the pulpit was a little late? bit later than the one that I had. So you uh you did the pastoral prayer and i was i glanced at my watch to see when you started and
0: um, it wasn't very long i don't think i think i sat down sorry guys a little yawn. <laughs> little yawny. <laughs> i think i sat down at 11:04
1: okay the, in the pew oh goodness the uh, the clock in the pulpit said like 11:12 or something whoa when i got up there yeah, so it's mm. it quite a bit off. So I'm gonna have to go and go fix that. So it's fast, I guess. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how long I preached because I it made was, you feel rushed.
0: Yeah. You're looking at it, and, oh yeah. man. So. Just take that thing and throw it against a wall. Well, I we don't need that. I
1: got that. I I got that when when I was at Northwest because I'd actually preached till like twelve thirty. Mm-hmm. One time, <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, this is no, this is no George, good, this is no good. I need George, a clock. <laughs> I need a
0: clock." <laughs> all of the old people were asleep, man. You looked over. You are like,
1: "Where'd they go? Are they gone?" You're it like, may not nope. have been, it. may not have been quite. They're that, not. It may not have. They were quite. Just, been that late, but it was. It was. It was pretty late. It was a lot later than it should have been. They weren't gone, George. They were just sleeping. The peace. and I didn't have. A, I didn't have any. I didn't know what time it was. Yeah. Um. I used to not wear a watch, when and so you, I didn't know what time it was, and so I was like. I, I've got to do something to, uh, like, keep myself aware. People, and so I went to Walmart and got, people aren't got a aware. clock.
0: People don't know if you've never preached before. You never experience when you preach. It's like you 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 slip into a crack in the space time continuum. <laughs> yes, a place a, a place where there is no past or present.
1: That's right, or, or future. You have
0: no idea what time it is. You're just existing, right? And then you look up and it's an hour. Yeah, later.
1: Yeah, like I just got started. Yeah, it's so I I got that clock, but I I need to make sure that it's set set to the same time as as my uh, my phone or or my watch. So so I don't know how long I preached, but I, I tried to keep it right around an hour or so. I knew my application was i knew when i said that that people were going to be like oh my goodness there's like two parts to the sermon but i knew my application was going to be kind of bang <laughs> bang bang bang, bang. Yeah. yeah um so all right well hey did yeah. you know that today is the anniversary of uh, the diet of of worms i didn't know that that's yeah april i 18th, probably knew well it. T- so when we're recording it it's the uh it's the anniversary april 18th
0: it's probably in my brain somewhere george rattling around but i cannot recall the things like i used to yeah
1: Oh, I'm with you. I only know it because a Facebook memory popped up. Okay, <laughs> April 18th, uh, 1521. You it's, hand out gummy uh, worms
0: to all your kids on this day? Is what, no. Celebrate? No. The old diet? No. <laughs> we with do worms. that on
1: Reformation Day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was, this was the day that Martin Luther actually yeah. stood up and and said, "Here I stand." So. Yep. Little little piece of history for you, Jay. That's right special day mm-hmm
0: yep could have easily been his last A little espionage happened afterward yeah it did some intrigue political intrigue yeah all right well how about we jump in here to this uh, text on this text driven Tuesday we're all back right. in Hebrews in <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5 verses 1 through 10. Focusing in on Christ, and as you said, this is beginning the heart of the book, which runs for a few chapters, right? Through 10?
1: Goes through 10. Through 10. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, this section, or the theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better, and in this section is is the focus on him as a better high priest and better than temple sacrifices.
1: right. Yeah, so we know that this this um is like a unit mm-hmm. in the book because you'll you'll uh, you'll start to see some of the same language at the end of chapter 10 that we have um really really the section begins at the end of chapter 4 with verse 14. Um it's Hebrews is one of those books that's kind of hard to see where the transitions are and and with our rotation it's like okay, what where's a good place to to stop like where's a good place well, what do you for think
0: us? about this that it's a sermon mm-hmm. and therefore the transitions are hard to get because one idea flows into the next
1: yeah it seems like maybe it's a sermon that was I don't know transcribed or um, I don't know maybe he's preaching from a manuscript I don't know mm-hmm. it's it's obviously a letter um, because he gives a greeting at the end mm-hmm. um, and he says I've written to you mm-hmm. but it also has the components of a sermon. So it's it's hard to even nail down the genre of of Hebrews right. because it's it's both. It's a letter and it's a sermon. Uh. Um so the transitions he's he's really smooth with his transitions. Um each section flows into the next one. So it's hard to know with uh with you know the way that we rotate our preaching schedule um here. I I got to find a good place to to stop and I got to find a good place to where, where can I pick this up in a way that everyone kind of knows where we're going? Mm-hmm. Um, so the section really begins and um, th- at the end of, of chapter 4, verse 14, and mm-hmm. that language is going to be picked up again um, in chapter 10. Um, we'll, we'll see some of the same stuff. So it, it, it holds together as, as one unit. He starts with this idea, and he'll, he'll end with the idea.
0: Okay, we haven't been in Hebrews for a while, so, and I know we have new listeners. So, explain the overall purpose of the book of Hebrews. What is the what is the goal of why the book's written? Right, um, or is there is there a goal?
1: Uh, there's a definite goal? Okay, um, the 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 definite goal is that there are um, Christians, primarily Jewish, but not not exclusively Jewish, um, who have uh, they profess faith in Christ. They've joined the church. But now because of persecution, they're, uh, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their property, some are being thrown into prison. Um, we see all of this at the end of chapter 10. Um, they're being tempted to leave. Um, they're being tempted to um, go away from the church and go back um, particularly to the Israelite worship. Um, the the temple, the sacrificial system, the priest, um, the rituals. And it seems like the idea is this is just as good. Like There's two ways that we can worship God. We can worship God in the church or we can worship God in the temple. Mm-hmm. And what the writer is um, showing is that all of these things uh, from the Old Testament have actually been pointing forward to... Christ. Uh-huh. And so it's not, um, it's not this, these two options. It's now that Christ has come, all of these other things are obsolete. So Jesus is not just another priest. He is, he is the fulfillment. He is a better priest. Uh-huh. Um, he doesn't just offer another sacrifice, he offers the ultimate sacrifice. Um, he goes into the true temple. We'll, we'll get into all of this in, um, Eight, nine, ten, um, and so he's the the overarching theme of the book. You could summarize the book as Jesus is better, mm. and so he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. Uh, chapters three and four show that he brings his people into a greater rest than Joshua did um, when he brought Israel into the land of Canaan, and now we see that Jesus is uh, a better priest. Um, he's he's a better priest. Um, he um, is the guarantor of a, a better covenant. We'll see that in chapter 8 um, because he has offered a, a greater sacrifice. And so that's, he's, he's calling them to hold fast to Christ. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't wander away. Don't abandon it. So we have these warning passages. We're getting ready to, to hit the, the most serious one in chapter 6 um, that people always kind of stumble over. Um, but it, it's meant to say, look, if you leave Christ, um, you, you've left your only hope. Mm-hmm. You, you're, it's not like you can leave Jesus and go to the animal sacrifices and the priest and the temple and God is still going to accept your sacrifices because these are obsolete. That they, 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 were, they were just kind of a placeholder um, anticipating the coming of Christ. And now that Christ has come, all of these things, they, they're, they're worthless mm-hmm. um, because of Jesus. Good, thank you.
0: Good uh, way to catch us up there. Nice nice brief catch-up. So, uh, just a a little bit more introductory material for this sermon. The outline, if you're listening, we're going to go through, that George laid out for us here in this text, in 5, 1 through 10, is five qualifications Jesus meets in order that he might be our high priest. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to work through those, and then after that, you've got five applications flowing out of that. Before we jump into that, though, let's let's talk about this. You mentioned that this text is a chiasm. Mm-hmm. So, explain to us, the listener who've never may have never heard that term before. It's not maybe something that you probably will never encounter it unless you're in seminary, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, well, it
1: depends the kind of books that you read. Right. It depends what yeah,
0: kind of books yeah. you read. You, you, may, uh, you may have a more technical commentary, and
1: uh-huh.
0: they're going to bring it out for you. But right. what is that? What If people are listening, what is a chiasm, and how is a chiasm in this, and in this text in 1 through 10?
1: Right. Um, so a chiasm is a literary structure. Um, you run into it a lot in the Psalms. Um, it's called a chiasm after the Greek letter Chi, which is an X. Mm-hmm. And so the chiasm has kind of that X structure. Does X mark the spot? X marks the spot. The center of the chiasm is is usually the most important part of okay. uh, like the emphasis. Mm-hmm. So what it, what it is, is uh, and you can see this in some uh, even English poetry, um, the, the poetic structure of a poem, there's a, B, C, B, A. Um, so the lines kind of match up with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this this passage and, and other chiasms in the Bible, it's as if you could fold the passage in on itself and the verses will line up. Mm. Not necessarily the verses, but the the ideas will right. match up with each other. Right. And so the I think that the, the hinge or the center of this passage is on one side, verse four and on the other five and six. And so if you fold it in on itself, they're going to match up. Uh-huh. Um, I saw that it was interesting. I was reading this trying, you know, you're still going through Habakkuk and I'm trying to kind of get my thoughts organized and I'm looking at it. It's really interesting. Like the, like the structure of this is really interesting. I think this is a chiasm. And so I, I text Philip I was like, what do you think? It's like, I see it. And then I went to the commentaries, and they all talk about how there's a chiasm, so yes. it's so it's not, it, which is always encouraging. Like, oh, I'm not making this up. Yes. <laughs> there's actually like people are actually seeing there's a structure to this. So what's going on is that in verses one through four, there is um, the the description of the, the the high priest in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and then you get to uh, to verse five, and he transitions to Jesus, and so he walks through the qualifications backwards. Yeah. Um, and in the center is this idea of of Jesus not exalting himself. Uh-huh. Um, so that's that's what a chiasm is, and and um, the reason why they do this is to emphasize that that primary point. So while while so the sermon we we walk from the the outside in. Uh-huh. So I was looking at this. I I haven't really preached a chiasm, <laughs> so I'm like, how do you? How would I even do this? Well, if the center is the the most important part, if that's the if that's the emphasis, I want to work from the outside and I want to end with I want to end with that central that central idea. So the the outside stuff is important, but the the central idea is found in verses five and six. Yeah, um, and that's that's where we want to land.
0: Okay, good. Well, let's have you read the the passage. I'll pull it up here on the screen. And, uh, and, and, and then you can, you can go, okay. go ahead and switch over to it.
1: Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness.
0: Thank you very much.
1: There's two different ways I could have... Uh, I, I was thinking about doing this. I actually had a backup outline here. <laughs> if At the last minute, I'm like, ah, I, I really think maybe I should do this instead. Uh-huh. So there was kind of this broad outline that, that a lot of the commentaries were focusing on. Jesus has union with his people. He, he identifies with his people, and he's chosen by God. So these two big points. Right. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to really break down... Um, those ideas into more specific, uh-huh. because I think you see it as we're going through the book already. It's it's kind of emphasizing, again, some of the ideas um, from the rest of the book. So I could have only had two points um, in this chiasm as I walk through it, but instead I decided to do five. All right. So point
0: one, you have Jesus is a man. So... First qualification to be our high priest. That's right. He's, he's a man. He's a man. <laughs> I like I like uh, yeah. I like points like this because you think at first you're like, well, no kidding. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. You're like uh, obviously. Yeah. But as I said before, any good expository preaching, anybody should be
1: able to go. Yeah. Well, okay. Point one's right there. Uh, it's right there in the text too. Right. <laughs> so he's appointed. Every high priest is chosen from among men. But yeah, there
0: you go. There you go. It's right there. That's better if you're a listener than somebody who gives you some profound point and you think, oh, that is profound. I could never get that point. And you can't get the point because it's not there. Yeah. So don't make your points up out of thin air. Right. Uh, Jesus is a man. And then the other great thing about these these uh, points like this is you think, okay, yeah, no kidding. We, we know this. <laughs> right. But then when you start to think about it yeah. more... Um, you start to realize it's actually a very important mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So, you know, it 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 we have to slow down and think, okay, have I ever really thought about why it's important that Jesus be a man? Mm-hmm. Like if he is the one who represents me before God, he made atonement for sin, all this stuff, like he's my high priest. Like, why could it not have just been like some archangel? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I don't know if people ever stop down enough to think about it. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't it just be a bull, right? Why could the why couldn't that sacrifice be okay? Why couldn't why couldn't you know something else fill in the blank?
1: Yeah, we uh, we emphasize this um, with our kids, and Phineas has started picking it up on his own. Why did animal sacrifices not fully atone for sin? Why, why could you not just offer this perfect bull or this, this perfect goat or this perfect lamb and that's the sacrifice that atones for your sin? And The reason is you're not a bull. <laughs> you're not a goat. You're not a lamb. It's got to be man for man because when you go back to the Garden of Eden, um, God tells Adam, the first man, on the day of you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. The wages of sin is death, um, and who who owes that death? It's it's man. Man is the one who violated God's God's covenant, His law, um, and it's man who owes the debt. And, and so it's not you can't you can't these these animal sacrifices. They were God's concession to Old Testament Israel, but they never were meant to be the the final sacrifice. They were always meant to point forward to the Messiah.
0: Yeah, and I think you can make it more personal, and you could say, "You, mm-hmm. right? You, right? You deserve to die. Yeah, you sinned against God. You owe a sin debt. This is something uh, I had a Muslim neighbor once before, and he just could not grasp it. He couldn't get it. Yeah. Um, God can't. He said he would say, God, God, God could just forgive you of your sins. Yeah." He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But he didn't get that God's not just if he does that, right? And like that's not just. Yeah, that's like God playing favorites or something. Yeah, you wouldn't. You, know? you
1: wouldn't look at a human judge, and you know some murderer comes before them, and um, let's say the murderer is even uh, penitent. Right, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I did. And the judge says, "You're free to go." Well, there's no justice there. Yeah and and God is the God is the perfect judge. He's the righteous judge. Um and he we, we would not look at God just saying, "You know what? Forget about it." Um yeah, and yeah. saying that's that's justice. That's
0: good. And a sin is only as egregious as the one that the offended party. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, you uh you can go to jail for abusing an animal.
1: Mhm.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Um which you shouldn't be able to abuse animals. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is good. We don't we don't want people being cruel. You know, I think we have a reason for it. It's God's good creation. I don't know what people would care for, you know? Like, what do you care? But we have higher penalties if you are abusive to a child than if you're abusive to a dog, mm-hmm. if in a party. And, you know, you go up more and more and more, and the illustration I have given before is you know, you slap the president of the United States in the face, you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. You slap the king of Saudi Arabia in the face, right? you're getting decapitated. Yeah. <laughs> you're done. Yeah. And we sinned against the eternal God, mm-hmm. the eternal king. Right. It's eternal debt that needs to be paid for by you, mm-hmm. the offended party. And uh, I, I like, like the Anselm's... Um, yeah. Let's try to summarize Anselm's apologetic for why Jesus must be a God man.
1: Why the God man? Yeah, yeah. Why it's necessary? That's yeah. that's really what the question is. Like, why does why does the Savior have to be both truly God and truly man? Mm-hmm. Um, so he lays out this this argument that um, God has created man for blessedness, for for eternal blessedness, to n- to know God, to enjoy Him forever. Is, is you know the Westminster. Um, but man has forfeited that through sin. The only way that man can enter into that blessedness now is if sin is somehow dealt with, if there's remission of sin. Um, but in order for sin to be remitted, there has to be a sacrifice, because the the debt is is death. That, that's the, you can't like pay God. Um, the, the only payment that he accepts for sin is death. Mm-hmm. Um, but since it's man's debt, only man ought to pay it, um, because it's his debt. So an angel um, is, can't do it. can't do it. right? Uh, man has to do it, but man can't do it. Now God can do it because God is almighty, but God it's not God's debt. So God ought not to do it. Mm-hmm. So in order for, um, for there to be um, this, this atonement made. Um, since only man ought to do it and only God can do it, there has to be a God-man. Now he goes he goes a step further because it's not just this is what can happen or, or should happen, but this is necessary to happen because God did create man for this blessedness, and for man to fail to attain to this blessedness would mean that God's God's plan has failed. Mm-hmm. And since God is omnipotent, he can't fail. So... In order for God's purposes to to be fulfilled, and they have to be fulfilled, there has to be a God-Man, mm-hmm. and that's 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 what we see. We see Jesus. He is fully God, so he can make the atonement, but he's also truly man in that he's the one who ought to be making it mm-hmm. um, on behalf of mankind. Mm. It's good. So it's important that our high priest be a man. That's, like you said, This it's this obvious point, like, of course, of course he's a man. What else would he be? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is uh, absolutely a necessary point. That It's the whole argument of, of chapter one is that Jesus is better than the angels. He's not an angel. And the reason why he's not an angel, he has to be a man, is so that he can fulfill God's purposes for humanity and he can represent his people, which is the second... The second point. So
0: God came up with the idea of the high priesthood. It's his idea. He he appointed Aaron the high priest. This is verse 1. He came up with this. It's his idea. It's his idea. Um, It's his institution. Right. The high priesthood. Yeah. God's institution. He chooses the high priest. And then this corresponds with verse 10, that Christ was also appointed, designated by God. Yeah. And then this strange... Person yeah,
1: appears. Right. Yeah. Who is this? Melchizedek. Who is that? Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't want to give too much away because when we get to chapter seven, we'll actually be looking at the story of Melchizedek. Okay. And, and like he's introducing it here. Then he's going to talk about how this is difficult because you're so lazy <laughs> that you can't understand it. That's, he's going to get the warning passage in <laughs> chapter 6. And then he's going to get to chapter 7. He's going to pick up Melchizedek again. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to give it all away in this sermon because I'm going to preach that sermon. So it would be just seven. enough
0: to say for now that Melchizedek, is a high, he's a high priest. He's a priest of God, mm-hmm. not of the line of Aaron.
1: Not of the line of Aaron. A very rare breed. And that's that's important. So you can read Genesis chapter 14 and you can you can read about Melchizedek. He's a mysterious figure. He's only in a couple of verses. This will be a fun game. You ready for this? Sure. Comment below. <laughs> who are the other
0: people who are priests in the Old Testament not right. of the line of Aaron? All right. Let's see let's see a little Bible trivia. Okay. Let's see what they come up with, George. Okay. All right. Cuz there there are well, just posing the question. Yeah, it can
1: be answered. We'll see who gets it. So, um, it's important that Jesus is a man, but he's not just another priest in the line of Aaron. Uh-huh. He is of the. He's after the order of Melchizedek, and so he is a greater priest because his priesthood is not. It's not um, conditioned upon. Um, being in the genealogy of Aaron, mm-hmm. which is going to be important, we'll we'll pick up on this more as we go along. Um, not just in chapter seven, but chapter eight. Mm. Uh, so he's again this this passage as this chiasm, and and there's that you know these um, these ideas are matching with each other. He's not just showing that there's a one to one. He's not just saying, well, here's the here's Israel's high priest, and here's Jesus, and they match up perfectly. He's showing that Jesus is superior. He's better than the um, mm-hmm. the, the priest from the line of Aaron. Right, because um, you can be born into the priesthood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's the only way you could be an Israelite priest. Right. You 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 had to be from the tribe of of Levi. And then if you wanted to be high priest, you had to be related descended to Aaron. To aaron. Mm. Um, and uh, aaron aaron uh, You couldn't just be you couldn't just be any. Israelite. Yeah. Um, you had to be from the line of Aaron. But Jesus, who is a greater priest, is after the order of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about him later. Yeah. Jesus, no punk either.
0: Aaron's kind of a punk, George. <laughs> come down the mountain all the people what, peer pressured him to make it <laughs> peer pressured him into making a golden calf Surprise!
1: he got to keep that high priesthood yeah yeah he messed up he messed up uh, almost immediately <laughs> <laughs> ah the priests are the people they were about to they were about to kill me and so yeah, I had yeah. them bring me their gold earrings and I threw it into the oven and out came this oh, calf oh, hey, I don't hey, know <laughs> look at the expert craftsmanship on that golden calf yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was magic. It's this magic cap that came out. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right.
0: So your first, first uh, five qualifications for why Jesus can be our high priest: number one, he's a man. Number two, he represents his people before God. Yeah. Um. He stands. Uh. He stands in between. Like. Uh, right. In between these two parties, mm-hmm. uh, representing, and. Um, it's interesting to to think about, in particular with Jesus, but the the high priest of the the old covenant did it did this as well, uh, but even more so for the God Man, right? Right.
1: Yeah. So, and it goes both ways. the The priest he's the intermediary for both parties, but right. in this passage, it's it's emphasizing that he acts in relation to. Mm-hmm. He acts before God in relation to the people. Mm-hmm. But it goes both ways. Um, so the, the priest is supposed to teach God's law to the people. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to speak from God to the people. Um, but he also represents, represents the people before God. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has to stand in between them. He um, bears we their we name see on the, this on his garments. Yeah, he bears their name. We see this just in the structure of Israel's camp in Numbers. The The temple or the tabernacle is at the center, and then um, Aaron and Moses were stationed in front of the mm-hmm. the tabernacle, and then the Levites were around them, and then the rest of the tribes. So there's, there's the, the wilderness, which is the place of uncleanness and death. Then you have just the general population of Israel, and then as you work your way inward, it becomes more and more holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Aaron is is there at the front of the tabernacle, um, standing there as, as the go-between. Mm-hmm. The only way you can approach God in Old Testament Israel is you have to go through the priest. Yeah,
0: yeah. And you brought out, I think, the, this important way of seeing the superiority of Christ as a high priest, and focusing in on Numbers 28 and 29 and the repeated offering, the Mm. sacrifice after sacrifice after... I mean, there's a sacrifice for everything. (laughs) Right. You know? And and it's... People think about the... I know I have in the past. Most people probably do. They see the temple as this pristine architectural masterpiece Mm -hmm. with probably, like, clean uh white marbly looking well i think they limestone I, yeah, you know
1: what i mean i think we i think we kind of um think of it like a hospital you walk into a hospital and you're expecting like this sanitized mm-hmm. space yeah um you can you can smell the you know the disinfectant yeah and i think i think that's how people view the the temple like it's this really sanitized place. Right. And it's it's really clean, pristine. Um, because when you think holy, you think clean, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if we really if if you go back to Numbers 28 and 29 and you just I remember the first time I I really spent some time reading it and trying to add up (laughs) like how many sacrifices had to be done like every day. Um it, it was a slaughterhouse. Yeah, and the, you know, they
0: burn incense. The incense are a holy offering, but they also serve a dual purpose. Yeah, You ever smell the inside of an animal when you cut it open? Mm. It, it doesn't smell good. Right. And it would be a bloody mm-hmm. mess of a place. Yeah. Blood everywhere. Um, and it serves as a picture to show the, how grotesque sin is. Yeah. What an offense it is. Right. Uh, what it does done to the world. And you see dead animals everywhere. Um, they're burning them. I mean, this is it should show you how much of an offense and what what our what human sin has done to the world and it's over and over it's never they it's just running like a machine yeah every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Christ offered a single sacrifice right he represents us his people before a holy god and he and he offers a single perfect sacrifice for sin yeah and it's enough. It's complete. It's yeah. finished.
1: So he can be the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 daily sacrifices in the the tabernacle and later in the temple were meant to be, as the author of Hebrews will say in chapter ten, it was meant to be a constant reminder of sin. Uh-huh. Like every every day, um, you know, you are hearing the 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 bleeding of animals. Yeah, um, you are probably hearing dying you're probably hearing them die if you're mm. if you're close enough to the temple um, and it's just a reminder the wages of sin is death. Um, this animal has to die because someone has sinned and um, if you're an Israelite you're just you're just surrounded by this like this this is this is part of your daily existence is this idea of, of sacrifices um, something dying, something bleeding um, for for your sin. But then Christ comes and he becomes the source of eternal salvation, which means that he actually accomplishes what all these animal sacrifices were pointing forward to.
0: And, and you will, you will. Have to re-explore this again in Hebrews ten, which I guess the emphasis there is on the superiority of this covenant, of the covenant at that time. Yeah, and
1: the and the sacrifice. Yeah.
0: So it says uh, every priest stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God.
1: Right. This is a uh, I've, I've said this again and again that that there there are um blueprints for all of these different structures in the tabernacle mm-hmm. I and mean, you read you read the the last half of exodus and it's just all of the different articles that that are supposed to be built for the tabernacle and what you know there's one piece of furniture that is never mentioned a chair because the priests they never sit down there because no, it's yeah. just constantly like you're constantly working um, but so that's, that's important that it, it says that after Jesus offered his sacrifice, he sat down. That's not just a throwaway idea. That means he's done. He's done the work. All right. So let's, let's, um, uh, let's take a deviation
0: at this point. Yeah. Okay. I think it'd be important for us too, though. And let's talk about Catholicism, Roman Catholicism. Um, and we don't do this because we're Roman Catholic haters. Like We, if, if you're a listener and you're a Roman Catholic, um, we would say this stuff because we care about you. And if you have family members who are in the Roman Catholic Church, same thing. It's important for us to now go from what we just talked about to discuss the reality of what occurs every day, actually in a Roman Catholic Church. Yeah a Roman Catholic Church every day, maybe numerous times a day, depending on how many uh, people like a ch- uh, you know their parish may be serving or whatever, right You can go. You know, right down here, right down the road, every day at lunch, and go to a mass if you want. If mm-hmm. you're a Roman Catholic, um, the the Roman Catholic priesthood is
1: based upon the old the Old Testament. <laughs> my um, my mother-in-law, she was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, she came to faith in Christ as an adult um, out of Roman Catholicism. Um, I think I've mentioned it before on here. Uh, my wife was even um, you know, sprinkled as a as a baby, um, so. There's a lot of Roman Catholicism in, in that background. Um, but my mother-in-law, she she says that um, she thinks that Catholics should read the book of Hebrews. Yes. <laughs> the book of Hebrews, it directly contradicts not just one aspect of, of Roman Catholicism, but the whole structure falls apart if Hebrews is rightly understood because yeah. they have the priest, um, they have... Um, their, their churches are kind of structured like the tabernacle. They even have the Holy of Holies where the, the Eucharist is kept. Um, and then their mass is a perpetual sacrifice. Right. Like the whole, the whole worship structure is based on the Old Testament. And if you understand what the writer of Hebrews is saying, all of the Old Testament sacrifices and all the Old Testament institutions and rituals, they're all pointing forward to Christ. So... You don't have to continue doing this. You don't have to have an ordained priesthood. You don't have to have uh, a holy of holies. You don't have to have perpetual sacrifices because Christ has accomplished all well, of these things. That may
0: be a surprise for some to know, to learn, that what happens every day in a Roman Catholic church is a what they believe is a new sacrifice of Christ. Yeah. Like they say Christ's sacrifice, they, they'll they base it all in what happened, what he did on the cross. Right. Right? Right. But they'll say the priest, the priesthood has been endowed with some power mm-hmm. uh, by God to every day re-crucify Christ right. again. Yeah. Uh, so they, I mean, you can read through their literature. They literally believe they reach up into heaven and
1: pull Christ down. I think they actually use the language of dragging him down. Uh, like it's that through their mass. Mass, the, through, uh, I would say through magic. Yeah, they, like they're they using a, they're using magical incantations. Yeah, they'll, they, they'll they'll word they'll dress it up in you know Christianese, but they're really offering incantations, this, and they think yeah, that they, they drag Christ down. And in the in the the priestly blessing, they uh, they transform the bread into the body of Christ and the wine into the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're offering the sacrifice again. Yep. That's right.
0: Yeah, and they say the same thing everywhere. People may not understand that. That Mass is said the same. The same words are used everywhere. Right. Used to only be in Latin. Yeah. Big controversy for them to switch it over into Mm -hmm. the language of the regular people. Yeah. They bring the bell, bing, and um, yeah. And you use the word blasphemy in church when you discussed it. (laughs) And I think it's true. I mean, it it may be even too light, blasphemy, abomination, Mm -hmm. even. Um, It's all all unneeded, unnecessary. Right. And, I mean, you know, our our forefathers in the faith, many of them who were killed at the hands of Roman Catholics, would say it's an abomination, it's Mm antichrist at its very core. Yeah. Because Christ, what he has done is offered a single sacrifice. He himself, as the high priest, and he himself, as a sacrifice, it was perfect, and you can not improve upon perfection. Right. He secured an eternal covenant for all those who are in him by faith. And so you can't, there's no need to go back to the old covenant, run back to the temple, or to even run into something like Roman Catholicism.
1: Yeah. This is important um, e- even for our uh, our fellow Protestants, fellow Baptists, to recognize that what what we do when we say we're taking the Lord's Supper is not the same as the Catholic Mass. Um, I, I don't even call what they're doing the Lord's Supper. Um, it's the Mass. It's it's completely different. It's it's not what it's not what we. Are are communicating when we talk about the Lord's Supper. Uh-huh. So we need to understand that, like it's not just, oh, we do the Lord's Supper this way, but they do the Lord's Supper this way, and and we're just we just have you know some minor disagreements on what it means to take the Lord's Supper. That's not what's going on. It's it's completely they're completely antithetical to uh-huh. to one another, and we need to be honest about that. Uh-huh. Um, I think that. Um, A big problem that we have, and we see this in the wider evangelical world. You know, Big Eva. um, I think um, they are committing suicide by niceness. Mm -hmm. People are just afraid to call the Pope Antichrist. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. When's the last time you heard someone in Big Eva talk that way about Catholicism? Never. It's, it's more likely that you're going to have um, an Ed Litton who does an ecumenical service with Roman Catholics mm-hmm. or the association here mm-hmm. in, in Lawton having the, the Night of Unity and singing and and praying alongside Roman Catholics as if, well, we, we have minor differences and there are big enough differences that, that I wouldn't feel comfortable going to their church. But, you know, we're, we're all believers. Um. We don't have to like be a Martin Luther right. and um, you know fart on every Catholic that walks by. <laughs> but we do need to recognize that there are serious there are serious differences and um, those who are truly holding to Rome's doctrines are outside the Orthodox Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Like, if you really believe this, if you really are holding to this, if you're really trusting in this um, for your salvation, then you're lost. I think many that are in the
0: Catholic Church, they don't understand. Yeah, I would agree. It's not explained clearly. Yeah, I agree. If they were to tell, I feel like if they were just be honest and be like, "Hey, here's what we're about to do. All of you are gathered here today for your lunch break. I am about to re crucify Christ anew."
1: Yeah. I they might open they, some eyes. They might
0: raise, it might be some <laughs> eyebrow raises. Yeah. Like well, what do you say what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I So I think there there is a lot of ignorance yeah. around that.
1: I agree. Yeah, I agree. So which yeah. that that is um that was part of the problem of of you know Rome um around the time of the Reformation is that no one even knew, even the priest, many of them didn't know Latin. They didn't even know what they were doing. Yeah. And it was it was just magic. Mm-hmm. They were they were just going through these rituals. If you say the words, that no one knows you know, what they who mean. Know, who, well, who knows where they even came from? Right like, who were who wrote these words? Like yeah, which 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 Pope was it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one that had a bunch of illegitimate children? And he said if you were, if you say these words just right, yeah. this magical thing will happen. I mean. For them to change it into the vernacular, like you said, was, was significant. Mm-hmm. Now people can actually understand what's being said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see some parallels to uh, to what the author of Hebrews is, is warning against and what we see today in, in the evangelical world and Catholicism. Um, I would say that if if someone is in a Protestant church where they're hearing the truths of the gospel, they're hearing you know the five solas are being proclaimed faithfully, and then they deliberately go to Rome, um, I, I could see I could see the warnings applying to someone like that.
0: I think in the Protestant world there's a problem that people have, and it comes to. Uh, Rededication, rededicating your faith. You know, you've seen these, mm-hmm. mainly done in in you know maybe teenagers, young twenties, uh, where someone will come forward again and rededicate their life again. Yeah, a new. That comes down to a problem with understanding that this this entire thing is Christ focused and not you focused, mm. right? Like this time, I really mean it. <laughs> right. So, so is so. This time, this is a sacrifice of what your feelings you're offering to God, and because of your sincerity, you'll be accepted before God. So, even in the Protestant world, we got our we've got our problems with a lot of this, stuff, and it comes down to not understanding this of yeah. what Christ has done as a high priest yeah. uh, and the perfection of what He offered.
1: He's the source mm-hmm. of eternal salvation. This eternal salvation that flows from from union with him. This is union with Christ's language. Um, it, it's not found any other, any other place. Mm. It, it's only him.
0: Yeah. Okay. So five qualifications that Jesus has that uh, make him able to be our high priest. One, he is a man. Two, he is uh, our represent, he represents his people before God. And three, he can sympathize with our weakness. And we've talked about this before in many other podcasts because of um, how—well, we would use the term how pastoral that it is, but what we really mean by that is the practical application of that, just for every single believer mm. to understand that we have, we have a God who's able to—he to under, understands us, not in a way that God we say, well, God knows everything, or you could say oh god knows what it is like for a human to suffer because he's god he knows everything yeah. that's not what we're saying what what a christian can say is we have a high priest who can sympathize with us within in our weaknesses because he has been he has experienced what it is to be a man he knows what it's like to live in a fallen world to experience pain and suffering and even beyond that to understand what it is to be tempted mm-hmm. Uh, to go through all of the temptations of sin and yet what you brought out was very good. The Old Testament priest could do that too, but he sympathize he's able to Old Testament priest could sympathize with the people because he knows what it's like to sin and then fail and yeah. give in right He's got to offer you know uh, a bull to to atone for his own sin before he can offer the, you know the uh, the sacrificial uh, atonement for all of the people. He's got to deal with his failings. Christ has experienced all the temptation we have, and yet never gave in. Right. So the temptation was even greater because mm-hmm. we we only experience temptation as much as until the point we give in. Yeah. He never gave in.
1: Yeah, I think that we, um, I think we can have this this weird view of Jesus. Probably goes back to some of these these weird um, movies that were made, like in the you know '60s and '70s, "The Greatest Story Ever Told," where Jesus is. Like, you got to check for a pulse to see if this Jesus is even alive. Um, He doesn't really have a personality. Uh, I think we we have this weird view of, like, stoic Jesus. Like, nothing can touch him. Mm -hmm. Like, he's not affected by anything. Like, he was a man, and he had real human emotions and real human thoughts and desires, and um, he was tempted. He was tempted in every respect, and yet he never sinned. And so he fills the full brunt of the temptation. Like, think of whatever you know tempts you the most. You only know it as someone who's given into it. Mm. Jesus never. He never gave into it. Um, I I think you probably have used this illustration of like the uh, the weightlifter. Like he's got the bar on his shoulders, and they just keep adding the weights. Well, you're eventually going to reach your limit. Jesus never reached the limit, so he feels the full weight of what it means to be tempted, and yet he he never sinned, and so he can sympathize with us in a way that um, I, I can sympathize with you as a fellow sinner. He can sympathize with you as one who knows the full weight of temptation, and yet never sinned, mm-hmm. and so he can sympathize with you mm-hmm. um, in your weakness, right? Um, and so he he's a he's a better high priest mm-hmm. than the high priest of Israel and this is necessary that that's the, the the what this passage is talking about is that these are the qualifications for him as high priest mm-hmm. it's not like this is just an added bonus for him to be your high priest he has to be able to sympathize with your weakness so it says that that um, although he was a son he learned obedience
0: through what he suffered yeah the, verse 8 is important mm-hmm. to think about I I put in quotes here a little something, um, because I think it's uh, a very—I'm wondering uh, if this is something that you, like, came to mind, or if you heard someone else say it. Uh, you may not even know if you ever—but I've never, I've never heard it before. It's not very often I don't—I run into something <laughs> I've never heard. Yeah. So I like that, George. Jesus was not qualified to be your high priest when he was two years old. Right, I like that. Yeah, that's that's very, that's a very uh,
1: nuclear bombing in my brain. Is, <laughs> you know what I mean? So this, um, this, this idea was kind of it. I was it was developing as I was thinking about it, and as I was reading um, Tom Schreiner's commentary on Hebrews. Mm-hmm. This idea that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, and he was made perfect mm-hmm. um, at the be- beginning of verse nine. Um, when we think of perfection, we probably think it in moral, right. moral terms. That's not what's going on here, because we can't. We, he never sinned. Um, what what it's talking about is that he was made perfect to be your high priest. Yeah. So he had to. He had to experience life. Like it couldn't just be hypothetical obedience, right? Um, that's why it couldn't be too. Yeah, he's got to go through life as a human. He has, yeah. It, it, like the question has been raised before: Why didn't Jesus just die as a baby? Well, he had to live a perfect obedient life. He had to fulfill the law in your place, and it couldn't just be hypothetical. It had to be active, mm-hmm. and when we talk about the active obedience of Christ. That's the theological language. He had to fulfill. All of the law in your place, and he didn't do that as um, you know a six-month-old. The temptations all have to come. You
0: know, right. we've we have compared before the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness to the temptations in the garden, and they're clearly seen. Um, personal temptations by the tempter, mm-hmm. the, by Satan, the deceiver. But then, throughout the, his entire life, even beyond that, you know, he leaves the wilderness, starts his ministry. We forget he's tempted this entire time, right, in all the ways that that we are. Mm-hmm. you know, we we've never even maybe even it's strange to think about it, but even maybe perhaps beyond, yeah, because as they're mocking him, even on
1: the cross, yeah, he could literally call down angels and right. destroy everything. He had to be tempted, and he had to learn obedience. Mm-hmm. Um, it couldn't just be hypothetically. Hypothetically if this happened Jesus would respond this way. When Judas came up and betrayed him with a kiss, Jesus had to learn obedience, to trust God even when he's being betrayed, even when all of his friends are being abandoned, you know, are abandoning yeah. him. He had to learn obedience through what he suffered so that he could serve as a high priest for us who will also be betrayed and abandoned, will will feel hopeless. The temptation
0: doesn't go away either yeah. until the very last moment right when we often talk we talk about that phrase to tell us die it is finished and I brought it out a little bit in the John sermon but even more now I'm thinking about it mm. as he's dying mm. the temptation is ever present to curse God and die as job's wife would say yeah. curse God and die right and that it has to be getting heavier and heavier upon him as he's experienced the wrath of God a wrath that he doesn't deserve mm-hmm
1: which he's he, the, he's which, the truly righteous sufferer.
0: Yeah. And so and then the hurling and the insults and it's compounding and and yeah. so learning obedience through what he suffered doesn't like stop in the garden of gethsemane. We yeah. may be tempted to, we may be we may be tempted to think that it's going all the way to the end. Right. Until it's until it's finished. Yeah. Literally until it's done. Right. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing to think about.
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah. And now that he has been made perfect, um, in in the the way that he's he's gone through and he's learned obedience. Um, now he is qualified to be your your perfect high priest, who can sympathize with you in your weakness. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. All right. Good number four. He offered an atoning sacrifice. We we already talked about this. We talked uh, about this uh, quite a bit already. But do you want to add anything
1: extra? Well, um, the fact that he was heard. He was heard. So he he, in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplication to him who could save him uh-huh. um, from death. Right. Um, so we we can think of the the different times in Jesus's life when this happened. Not not just in Gethsemane, but even before then. Um. one one commentator brought out um, John twelve, where Jesus says what. I've come to this hour. What should I pray? Father, uh, right, save me from this this moment. Yeah. But for this purpose I've come to this yeah. hour. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um But uh what's really striking is that he was heard mm-hmm. because of his, his reverence or because he feared God. Um and we think, well, it doesn't seem like he was he was heard because he actually died. Um but mm-hmm. this is talking about the resurrection. And we talked about this on Friday. How do we know that the cross worked? Yeah. Like how do we know? Like The, the parallel here is, is up in, in verse 3 that because of this, because of the weaknesses that the high priest suffered, he was obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. Mm-hmm. This is Day of Atonement language. He has to offer a sacrifice for himself before he can go into the Holy of Holies um, with the sacrifice for the people. How do we know that Jesus' sacrifice actually worked? Like we say all of these these you know grand things about the cross, how do we know? Yeah. It's because of the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. It's because he was heard um, because of his, his reverence. Um, so because of the, the resurrection, we know that this was a one once for all time sacrifice. Mm-hmm. We know that when he said to Telestai, that it actually has been finished. Um, not because we have wishful thinking, not because the church just came together and said, this is what the cross means. It's because the resurrection, the resurrection is the proof that everything we say um, about Jesus and everything that we say about the cross actually is true. Mm -hmm. Jesus is who he says he was um, because of the resurrection.
0: Yeah. Right. It's good. Yeah. And then number five, he is exalted by God. And this is the center point of... Right. The, uh, the chiasm, or this is the X marks the spot. Uh-huh. Jesus isn't a self-appointed high priest, and this is important as we get into some of our application, but explain this this uh, this key center section.
1: Um, so verse 4, no one takes this, this honor for himself, but only when he's called by God, just as Aaron was. So this is not an elected position in Israel. It's not um, you know, who's the best qualified. Um, you know, you don't take some kind of aptitude test, and you're placed in this position. God, in Exodus 28.1, he said, Aaron and his sons will serve as priests. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's God exalting Aaron as the high priest. We can see very clearly that Aaron, he messes up <laughs> <laughs> he messes up almost immediately um, as high priest, but he's, he's the man that God has chosen um, as high priest, and his line is they're the ones Right, um, we see in um, number sixteen and seventeen the the story of Korah and his rebellion. And Korah is a Levite, and he thinks, "Well, yeah, um, I'm this is, as good." This is after this is after they can't enter the promised land, and they they're rebelling, and uh, everyone in Israel is holy. Um, and God uh, shows that Aaron is the He's he's the one who's chosen mm-hmm. um, because the earth opens up and swallows Korah and his family whole, and then you have the the story of uh, the staff, Aaron's staff, blooming. Yeah, like, this is God's choice. Well, in the same way, Christ did not exalt himself. And we could look at you know a multitude of, of verses where Jesus says that he didn't come to glorify himself. God's the one who glorifies him. He doesn't seek his own will. He seeks the one of of uh, him who sent him. Um, so he doesn't exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said, and then he quotes from Psalm two, seven and Psalm one ten, um, verse four, Psalm two, it's about the son. Um, you are my son today. I've begotten you. Psalm one ten, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is, he, he uses these two verses to show Jesus is a king priest. Mm-hmm. We're going to pick that up when we talk about Melchizedek, um, in chapter seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the heart of it is that this is the priest that God has chosen. So it's not like um, I guess the the illustration of speed dating, like it's not like you've got ten you know ten options, yeah, and you, you spend some time with each one of them, and then you you know you pick the one that you're most compatible with. Um, this is God's appointed high priest, mm-hmm. and if this is God's appointed high priest, then there is no other. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not, it's not like you can say, well, I I really like what's going on over here in the church, but you know, I'm I'm about to lose my job. Right. Um, like the synagogue has, has, they've kicked me out of the synagogue. I, I've been cut off from the community. There's how am I supposed to even, um, you know, support myself and my family. So I'm going to have to leave the church, even though I'm, you know, you got some good stuff going on. I've got to go back to the temple. And what he's saying is that um, Jesus is God's high priest, Yeah. and if you leave Jesus and go back to you know the high priest at the temple, um, you're going back to nothing. You, you're going back to yeah, it's it's obsolete. There's there's nothing for you there. You are abandoning your only hope for salvation because God has exalted this one, and um, he's he's the one. Um, so no matter what happens, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter the the persecution, if you really want God, if you want the salvation, if you want eternal blessedness, if you want eternal salvation, um, it's Jesus. Yeah. It's only Jesus. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There
1: and that's the you know that's the, that's the heart of the book. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus is the source. He is the he is the um, the fulfillment of all of these things. He is the one. So don't drift away. Don't harden your heart. Um, because if you do, all you have is um, damnation. Yeah. So you had five applications that flowed out of
0: this, that we did quickly, and, and the listener will be able to pick up on how they, how they naturally really just emerge out of the text. Number one, God loves sinners. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes incredibly obvious when we said that Jesus is the exalted God-appointed one. Mm-hmm. This is God's plan for salvation, not man's plan. Yeah. Uh, Jesus was sent by the Father. And we we read the passage that you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Sometimes we forget what that maybe can entail. That um, this is a plan that the Father has to reconcile sinners to Himself. Underneath that, obviously, means that God loves sinners. Right. So if you're a sinner, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. God loves you. God has a, He His His bent towards you is benevolence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's this idea. Probably even among some Christians that God in the Old Testament is angry, and then Jesus shows up in the New Testament and he he fixes everything mm-hmm. well that's that's not the picture that we have in the Old Testament or the New Testament, right um, What we have is that the Father loves his people, He loves the world, and um, he has compassion on them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and so it's not Jesus kind of going around you know the Father to try to find some way to appease this unappeasable God. Um, Jesus has been sent by the Father to accomplish this purpose. So mm-hmm. the cross is the Father's plan right to reconcile sinners to himself because he loves sinners.
0: right. And you know we could even think like well if he does, why did he what did he do this way back in the time when there was no internet or whatever? but yeah. we forget how quickly that this gospel the, uh, that God loves sinners spread to every continent on earth. I mean, it, it may have been a, a bit before it got to the Americas, but in the known, wor- in the civilized known world, yeah. through the Roman Empire, it went incredibly rapidly, even into Africa and into India. If, mm-hmm. if uh, I mean, following the trade routes, there's no, we don't know how quickly it went. It could have even gone even further east. But God loves sinners, and um, we need to we need to remember that. Yeah, I and mean, it. The only people that don't believe this, I think are people that don't think they're sinners. You know what I'm Uh, I'm saying? I think
1: that in the, you know, in the middle of sin and guilt and shame, there's that temptation to think, and I've just screwed up one too many times. Mm -hmm. Like how could God ever love someone like me? How, how, or, you know, I've, I've got to fix this. I've got, I've got to clean myself up. Um, and we've, we forget, God loves sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, while while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. Right. Not, not when we were good, not when he looked down the corridor of time and saw you know, our response. Like he sent Christ because he loves sinners. Yeah. And then, two,
0: the penalty of sin has been paid. Mm-hmm. This is, we we kind of went at this from the even the angle of looking at the... At the Catholic Church and what they do, mm-hmm. the, there's one payment for sin. There's one penalty, or there's one payment for the penalty of sin. Christ has paid it in his in his person. Right, as the priest, as a sacrifice himself, yeah. in a perfect eternal sacrifice. And Number three, the resurrection is proof. It proves that yeah. it proves it proves the other two.
1: Yeah, and it, I was you know we're coming at it from from two different sides. So um, the penalty of sin, the consequences of sin. Um, your guilt has been paid for, mm-hmm. but the resurrection is proof that the power of sin in your life has been broken. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're forgiven, but you don't have to continue walking in sin. Like you, you have because of the resurrection. Christ has sent His Spirit to empower His people. Um, you can walk, and and this this resurrection power of the Spirit in conversion. Is described by Paul as the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, mm-hmm. and that's not something that you're waiting for in the future. We're waiting for the fulfillment when when we will be resurrected, but we have been resurrected now, right. and we're able to walk in the power of the Spirit right now. So you don't have to feel trapped in this endless cycle of sin. Mm-hmm. There is hope that you can you can um, beat sin and you can walk in obedience. And that's that's a hopeful that's a hopeful uh, thing for for Christians. Yeah, and that's that's in Ephesians one. Mm-hmm.
0: He one of the things he's praying is he wants you to know the Ephesian church and and us one nineteen to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is a name, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness and fills all in all. And then, chapter two, he gets into how that resurrection power operated
1: in your life. Right. And that's what you're saying, what you're getting at here Mm. is the same power. Yeah, you know, he talks about Christ being seated. At the right hand of God in chapter one. In chapter two, he talks about how we've we, been seated with him.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: um, in with union in Christ, we're as good as already there. Mm-hmm. And so, in in light of that reality, live that way. That's right. Yeah, and I, I think we need to know that we're. You know, we've got so many Christians that are um, they're still they're still kind of weighed down with with guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, you can live. A hopeful. I always hate saying a victorious life because that just comes out, comes off really word of faithy. Right, um, but it's true. You need some baseball swag in your life. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You ever see the swagger that a baseball player has? Uh huh. They fail all the time. Yeah, that's what they do. I mean, baseball is a failure game. Yeah, you sp- but they walk around with that swag. Mm. Yeah. That's you got to have that baseball swag in your Christian
1: life. <laughs> You're already seated in the heavenlies. That's right. Yeah. I love Colossians chapter 3, those first, this first couple of verses that say that, that you have been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Mm-hmm. That's where your life is. Um, and so uh, we're, we're to walk that way. Don't, don't set your mind on things that are below. Set your mind on things that are above where Christ is. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right, and then
0: four, we probably don't need to go too too in-depth on this because we did already. Yeah. You have a Savior who knows your weakness. Yeah. Important to remember, remember that.
1: Yeah, so at the same time as we say you've been seated with Christ, we also still, our bodies are still down below. Mm-hmm. right? Um, it's, uh, it's Luther's. It's Luther's. Um, we're simultaneously justified and a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we sin... Remember, you have a great high priest. Um, he's he's interceding for you. Yep. Um, when you when you sin, and you will, probably already have <laughs> today, um, you have a, a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God who is praying for you. Right. Yep.
0: And then lastly, all of his enemies will be put under his feet. Yeah. That's the last bit of application.
1: Yep. The, there is coming a day when there will be no more sin. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. Our High Priest is also a king, and um, he's a warrior. We read Psalm one ten, which is the you know it's quoted here. It's about Melchizedek, who's a king priest. um we have a king priest, he atones for our sin and he also um crushes the head of our enemy mm-hmm. and um, that's something that should give us hope,
0: yeah, good.
1: All right, thanks George.
0: Appreciate it. Looking forward to the next sermon as we learn more about Hebrews. Hopefully you you are learning through these text-driven Tuesdays and also learning how to apply this to your life. And it's our hope as we go through passages of the Bible, you know, our ultimate hope is to help you in your progress of Becoming more like Jesus. And that's why we say that we hope that this helps you to be more conformed to Christ. So if it has, please like, subscribe, and share. And please come back for Free for All Friday. Who knows what we'll talk about? It could be any number. It of could ri- be anything. We've got some things ridiculous, lined up. wild things, George, like pregnant man emojis. You never know. You never know what we're going to talk about. So we'll see you then. Bye bye.